You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders podcast. And today we have an amazing creator. He's an author of an epic fantasy book series. That's right, folks. Doing things a little different. Step outside of comic books for a bit because you guys got to read some books too, all right? Um, This is a dope book. It's called the Warminster series, all right? We're going to talk about the dope three books right here. Ooh, yeah, don't be jealous, folks. My man sent them on over. Let me introduce this amazing superstar of a writer right here. Well, the one, the only Mr. Jamie Hillier. Weppa, how you doing? Oh, well, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to our talk. No, absolutely. No. Thanks for coming on and, and to chit chat about you know the dope books. Thanks for the generosity. And not just that, folks. Look how cool he was. Not just that. Kaboom! They even signed. Yeah, man. It's like, who needs to go to a con, bro? <laughs> my man. Who took- this guy does. <laughs> That's where my fans are, man. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. Exactly, you know, where you're going to be going at and all, you know, before the show ends. But, you know, to get started, for those that are just unfamiliar, JB, for those that just happen to be in a big shout out to Daniel. Thanks for tuning in. Let folks know a little bit about yourself. Where are you originally from? And my favorite question ever, what is the first thing in fandom that you ever fell in love with? Yeah, so I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania originally. Moved away here for a while, worked as a lobbyist in D.C. as a defense and technology lobbyist, uh, and then moved back home. For a lobbyist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do a lot of defense work on the tech side. Right. What's that? Yeah, an epic adventure back then. It was. was, That's one way of putting it, right? So I did that for a while, and then COVID happened, and it brought me to a point where everything was shut down for almost two years. No more lobbies. (laughs) No more lobbyists. So, you know, so what we did was, you know, my wife wagged her finger at me and said, look, man, you're not going to sit around driving me nuts with all the energy you've got. You know, she said, go do something. And writing a book was always on my bucket list to do. So I, I wrote an epic fantasy series and, and I thought there was going to be a single book at the time. And, you know, by the time I got a publisher, I learned that uh, something that I should have known in the back of my head as a fantasy fan my entire life is that, you know, fantasy books are not single standalone books. They're series. And mm-hmm. if I wanted to be published by her, I needed to have a series. So we put together a three book series, which became a four book series, last of which comes out here right around the holidays. So Getting close to the to the launch of book four, and I'll get that to you when it's done and it's out too. By the way, stuff from folks, not just easily, but four. You got it, man. You got it. So, uh, but to get back to your original question, the the thing that really brought me into fandom was The Hobbit. You know, when I was ten years old, I was sitting in my English class, and at the end of the year, my English teacher had fallen ill and took a medical sabbatical, and somehow, some way. The permanent substitute that came in got permission from our principal to read us the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit as the last month's worth of curriculum. And that was it. I was in love. You know, it had knights and dragons and all the kind of things that come along with fantasy. And, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien is sort of the, the 
granddaddy of them all, right? He's the guy when it comes to fantasy stuff that everybody else aspires to be. And so for me, you know, that was my introduction into it, but I was always a nerd. I mean, I'm, I'm a comic book guy. These are being turned into a graphic novel series. You know, it's also becoming a video game, things we could talk about in a minute or two. And that all came from that fatalistic moment where it was like, you know, Hey, you know, you, you've got a chance to, to, to listen to what the Hobbit's all about. And I fell in love with it. And all of a sudden I was like, one of these days I'm going to write that book. And now that book's becoming a, a series, a graphic novel, and a video game. So I'm excited about it. Well, thanks to Wifey on that for for for, for giving you that nudge. <laughs> you know what I mean, that's awesome when you have someone that supports on that level. That's fantastic. Right. I get it, man. No. Listen, I don't want to kick you out, so put your energy elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. It's like you're. I was going to drive her nuts. You know, she was like literally like, you know, we're stuck here together for a couple of months. At the time, we didn't know how long it was going to be, and she's like, just. Do something or else you're going to the room somewhere and tie That's exactly right. So I sat down, I started pounding away, and then that just became a, a habit. All right. So I need to know here, man. Family of the Warminster series is quite the ambitious project, right? You know, four book series and all. So, you know, wifey told you to, to create a series. You said you were a fan of this, but what, what was the inspiration? Where were the seeds? There's something that always lied within you, or or when when wifey gave you that 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 finger wagging, the universe, you know, that was like a magic wand and it just appeared in you. Yeah, you know, it it wasn't the magic wand, but it was the directive to do it. Like I had always talked about doing it, and it was just a matter of now I had the time, right? And so she's like, go and do something, and that's what I ended up throwing myself into. Uh, but the story itself really was seeded by years of Dungeons and Dragons play. You know, I'm a nerd. I'm a D&D guy. I've gone to, I'm a big Comic-Con guy. I've never done like the live action role playing, but I respect that. I know people that do cosplay and LARPing and and stuff like that. And it's a lot of fun. You're not there yet. (laughs) No, no, it's just not, it's, I'm not much of an actor. Like that for me would be, I'm more of the guy that sits behind the scenes and types, I'll put the story together, but don't put me on a stage somewhere. That's uh, just not what I do. When, when this series is, is going to be LARP, I think you're going to be the head of that. Don't you worry. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, I actually, I, I am impressed. I actually, I've got somebody who came to me at my last con and said that she wanted to do TikTok videos about some of my more popular characters in cosplay. And she's got a group oh, that's going to do it and put it together. And we're going to kind of cross promote it for their group and and my stuff. And that stuff is humbling, man. When someone gives you fan art or wants to write fan fiction or, you know, comes like literally pays money to come and see you at a con, to listen to you talk, to meet you, to buy your books and then tell you what they like and don't like, that's dedication, man. And you got to respect that. And it is truly, truly humbling for me. So, you know, I, you know, for me, it was something that, you know, if there was a silver lining in COVID, it was it. I was able to put this together and you know, and knock it out. And the first book's now an Amazon bestseller, and I'm hoping the third, fourth, and, you know, others are coming along too, man. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. How about that? That first book in the series is The Last Keeper. Can you give our listeners and viewers a, a brief overview of the story and then the main characters, you know, the, the every cosplayer is dying? To, to, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the story is a bit of a hero's journey meets coming of age story, right? So the main character in the novels is a kid named Damus Alaric. He's not a kid. He's like a 20 year old guy, but you know, he has these visions that 
allow him to see into the future. And he only has them when he's sleeping and they come to him in the form of night terrors, you know, so he doesn't know how to control them. And he's sent away to a school where these other seers and oracles are to learn how to harness his powers to, to better serve, you know, the realm. But when he gets there, these dreams become so intense and they become so specific. He starts to see the, the return of a fallen keeper. These, uh, you know, you know, the keepers are the sect that he belongs to. And this man is coming to take revenge. And he's the only one that sees him coming. You know, all of these learned scholars and all of these practice seers, nobody sees this guy coming except he does. And he sees him every night. And every night in his recurring nightmare, the the fallen keeper gets closer and closer. And he knows mm-hmm. that it's coming. And he can't figure out why he's the only one to see it. And that's why it's called The Last Keeper. And so it's Damus's story about how he harnesses his powers and matures and then leads his merry band of adventurers against the return of uh, the great Taurus, the mad, who is the villain in the novels. And talk about that cover art. Woo. Sexy, man. (laughs) I'll tell you what, I don't, I can't take any credit for it. That, that, that stuff, that's my illustrator meets a lot of people that looked at it. My wife likes the guy because she thinks he's hot, but that's supposed to be, Damus with his white eyes. Damus as a character was born blind and he was given this power of sight by a, a passing sort of this mysterious wizard who touched his eyes and he was then able to see, but with his sight came this magical sight that he, that he sees the future with. And so there's a mystery behind that that goes, that you kind of have to solve as you, as you kind of go through it. And there's a, you know, a Luke, I am your father moment for all of our Star Wars nerds out there that are listening and watching. That are, that's part of that too. And so when he figures out where he got the site from, it really helps him develop his the strategy to defeat the big bad evil guy. But you know, the cover I think was really sharp. I get a lot of a, a lot of compliments on the covers, and frankly, the covers for the series. You know, and the last one I, I didn't send it because I'm not allowed to reveal the cover just yet. That's part of the <laughs> social media strategy. But it's going to look eerily similar to the others, and uh, you know, kind of. It, I, I think it's going to look really sexy on a bookshelf in a, in a box set somewhere. Uh, listen, man, uh, they, they look fantastic. Like I said, folks have them here. This is the second book now. All right. So to, to just to finish on the first book. So how much do we learn about our, our main protagonist here and antagonist in, in this first book? Yep. Yeah, well, you learn a lot of Damus's backstory. You know, you get to learn that, you know, he was born blind. You you know that he was of a noble birth and that this was this affliction that he had when he was given this sight. They, that his parents thought this is great. He's now able to see. But the curse that came along with it was that he's now seeing the future. Right. And seeing things he shouldn't see. And so for them, they looked at it as sort of like Rudolph's red nose. Like they didn't they didn't get it at first. They didn't know that it was actually a blessing in disguise. They looked at it as a curse a bane upon their house. Uh, and so he was sent away, you know, to learn about it. And so you learn about him as a maturing man, you know, beyond young adult, he's, he's a new adult, right? And it's how he's able to harness those things and how he, you know, he's, he learns from the people around him and those that are sacrificing for him uh, to become the person he needs to become, to defeat the evil, the big, bad, evil guy. Right. And so the big boss in this case is great Taurus, the mad. And he, was the head of their sect at one point and violated, you know, the, the canons, you know, it's almost like the 10 commandments. He, he violated the first commandment over all, which was thou shalt not use your powers of sight 
to your own benefit. And, and that's how he got cursed. And so in book one, you learn about him being cursed in the prologue. And it's a pretty vicious, dark fantasy prologue. It's, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. You know, it's a pretty scary thing. And then you, you learn about Dame. Dame Sti- Maybe if you right? the Nesto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you nailed it. So like you get this immediately by reading the prologue in chapter one, you bam, you, you're set down your path. And then there's a few other main characters that are in it too that play a bigger part, but it's really the struggle in the four book series. The really the, the heart of the struggle is Damus versus Great Taurus. And you know, and it's those two that, you know, eventually face off in in the final the final novel and, and what happens there as part of it. So, you know, it's a, you know, I, I'm hoping that, you know, people enjoy it. And I think the, the book one has been, you know, very widely accepted and as I mentioned earlier, is is now being translated into both a graphic novel for those that are coming to comic crusaders that want to get their comic, you know, you know, you know, fix in or, and, or, you know, gamers that are watching, this is going to become an augmented reality and virtual reality game in the 2025 timeframe. So oh, I'm man. working on that as we speak. Well, well, I'm loving, I'm loving. All right. So we got that book one out, but again, you know, you said the fourth one is coming, which means folks, we have two more books we could chat about a little bit. So borrowed in, Layer the second installment in the series. So you know what 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 can you tease us with here without giving away too much? So folks could pick up this beautiful book right here. I, listen, I know folks, you want to see it closer. I got you. you. You don't think I do? Come on now, it's right here. Look at this awesome looking cover. If my if my finger would scroll fast enough, kaboom! There we go. Let's talk about that one right there. We're all there. Look at again, wonderful art. Like yo. I mean, if this is what you give me on a cover, I cannot wait to see what you give me in a graphic novel. It's going to probably yeah. be stuff ever. That's the that's the scary part, man. It's taking what is an epic fantasy that has a half a million words in four books and boiling that down into a comic yeah. book. Yeah. That is hard, man, because you get one word, you get one sentence in each of those frames. You get eight frames a page, maybe. Right. And and you, you try to stretch that out. But Voridin's Lair is the continuation of the story. Right. It's kind of the Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. where in book one, you know, the cast of adventurers comes together to help Damus, fr- frankly, just survive. And he's able to do that. And people then recognize him as sort of the last keeper. Voridin's Lair is the continuation of that quest. It's them coming together. The woman on the cover is Princess Adeline Elspeth. She's a vermilion elf. You can see by her ears and her hair, the red in her hair makes her vermilion, her red eyes uh, and things. And she's there to support Damus. And she, you know, and, and Damus go to the city of Abacus to, to discover what Voridin's Lairs is and, and what secrets lie within, you know, so that they can use that to defeat Great Taurus the Mad. And that's really, you know, them going and, and figuring out how to defeat this guy who has has the world in in chaos. And that's really what stories, stories continues from the first book. He's still a nutcase that, that, that that's involved in the narrative. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. He's the guy that, you know, is cursed. And, and it's, it's, if there was a Darth Vader in this, it's him. You know, if there was a Sauron in it, it's him. You know, he's the cause of the realm's issues. And it's because, He's coming back. He doesn't feel that he should be blamed for what he did. And his gods cursed him, basically, as a result of him using, you know, his knowledge, his gift in a way he shouldn't have. And he's coming back to take revenge. And, you know, he's doing some things. And 
there are some sub villains that he recruits to help him. Mm-hmm. What my my most popular character in all the novels is is my assassin, this guy named Incanus Druwaith, who's supposed everybody's supposed to hate him, but they don't. They love him, and, and you know he's kind <laughs> of like I, I liken him. I had one fan tell me he's your Boba Fett. You know, it's like oh, everybody's yeah. like you know like he's not a main character. But he's he's main enough that everybody can't wait to read what he does because it's so devilishly evil. Like, what does he do next? And that's a lot of fun to sit back and kind of watch that from the sidelines and seeing. I'm telling you, one out of you would think that people come up and I like Damus, I like Ritter, I like Adeline. No, 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 no. One out of two, at least one out of two comes up and says, "I love Incanus. He is he is such a badass." And and you know, so I'm I'm glad to see he kind of. He really takes a role in book two and is a big part of book three, which I think everyone. Oh, knows. nice. Book three. Wepa, I mean, segueing, my man, is segueing. <laughs> book three, baby, right here. Let's get into that one right here, the Trillius Gambit. You know, this is the latest edition you can get on the shelves right now, right very now, because book four is forthcoming. But this is the latest one, so... And again, gorgeous cover, as you could tell, folks. But again, look, and I have it too. Ooh, that's right. Look how glossy that thing is. Sexy. Uh, so talk, talk about that. And I'm digging. This is a tattoo. Let me tell you. This cover has a black tattoo. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it could be, man. I sell some shirts with it on. People like it. They like that amethyst color and yeah. you know, the skull and, and Damus on the front with the fire in his hands. You know, it, it really, you know, it, it, it's the transitional piece where you get a lot of big battles in this book. If you're a fan of epic fantasy battles, All right. this is the book for you. You get this giant war that happens between Prince Montgomery and Baron von Lormark, and the, the, the two families finally meet on the battlefield. You're not going to believe how it ends. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited about that. But then you also see this local struggle, this duel that's going on between Adeline and Ritter and 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 in Canis Drew Waith, it gets really personal. You get to see the behind the scenes you know, and the and the and the romance that goes through it, the real central romance is between Ritter and Adeline. And it finally kind of comes together, you know, where it's a slow burn, and then they finally make a decision to to be with one another, even though their societies forbid it, you know, that it's that forbidden love kind of trope that everybody likes. And so I get a lot of fans, you know, loving that. And I also, you know, and and then the struggle between them. And in Canis Drew Waith and the two of those fighting, it gets really personal in in this book. That and it kind of culminates into one last duel between the three of them. And I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but put it this way: I, my voiceover actor and my editor both said this is the best of the three. So, and oh. I can't wait for them to get done with four and 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 get on with that. So we're we're getting there, man. Well, I cannot wait. All right, so. Being that you're a D&D player, I, that means that your mind must be explosive. So can you tell us a bit about the magic system in the series and how magic it used and how it affects the world and the characters overall? Or, I mean, sure can. Does every character have vision or not? I mean, I'm pretty sure they have different power sets, right? That's right. So this is, uh, it's a lot like, you know, what, what I would describe as an adaptation of what you've seen in many role-playing games. Dungeons & Dragons being, you know, sort of central piece of all RPG games you know, as being the first and and the most popular. But what I've done is I built a magic system around that. And part of the magic system is a learned magic system. You can go and learn to harness the powers and not everybody can. 
but you can go and, and, and learn that in the same way a Dungeons and Dragons wizard learns it. They study, you know, it's it's part of you know a mantra that they they have adhered to, and it's and it's a dedication that they've given to a way of life, you know. So Adeline's character, even though she's a princess, she's also a sorceress, you know, in that respect. And then there are powers that are derived from praying to the ancients. Uh, and the ancients is my term for gods. Like, I, so I have a pantheon of gods you know, in this realm. The one that Damis venerates is Arud, who is the god of knowledge. And Arud is sexless because knowledge doesn't have a sex. It's not neither male or female. And so it's almost like it's a, a spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't embody anything. And so it touches those that it wants to imbue with that ability. And you can pray and learn how to harness them. And then there are others that you can pray to. For the, for example, the goddess of death is known as Threnody, you know, and and some like the Morbog, which is a very evil cult that gets involved in in the later books. You know, they pray to her for powers, and she brings them, you know, gifts in the form of that magic. So some of it is learned magic. You know, places where you would go to a wizardly school like a Harry Potter Hogwarts, and then there is, you know what I would describe as, is sort of venerated magic that comes from praying to gods that's delivered to you that you don't always have, but it's, it's a magic that you can get based on your dedication to the service of a God or gods in general. Do you hear this guy? Folks, again, look how sexy is going to look on yourself. Right? <laughs> you, you, you're hearing this? All right. So, all right. So it's the mythology and legends play significant role in the storytelling. So I'll have any real world myths influence, you know, the lore of Warminster if at all. Oh my goodness, yes. You know, I've grabbed stuff from you know, first of all, I have to say that in order to create a world, you have to borrow from one that you're in, right? Like in you know, if I were telling you a story about how Mega got in his car and drove down to the grocery store and, and bought food and came home. I don't have to explain what you did. Everybody understands it. But in my realm, when I'm creating it, you know, is the sky blue? Do you have one moon or two? Do you have two suns or four or one sun? You know, how long is the night? How long is the day? How do they keep time? How do they spend money? You know, is yeah. there a money system? What does that look like? Yeah. yeah. So you're doing all this world building, right? You know, and so for 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 me, you know, that's really at kind of like the heart of your question here. And so like, you know, for, you know, I always, you know, I always like to, to tell people like, you know, for, for my realms and, and things like that, and, and anybody that's in a in fantastical realm, you have to base some form of realism in it. And so I borrowed from Norse mythology. I've borrowed from Aztec mythology. I borrowed from Native American mythology. I've, I've borrowed from Asian mythology and a little bit of African mythology. And one of the creatures in the novel is known as the antlered man i mean that's basically a kind of a you know a, a, a an adaptation of a norse myth of a man who was the master of the hunt who was master of wolves whose head was you know he wore a helmet that had these antlers on it in this case he is the antlered man like those antlers are really real or i use a native american myth which is called the skinwalker and one of the characters, one of the villains in the novels is a skin stealer, which is kind of like a, a doppelganger where he changes, he, he can eat through somebody's skin, devour them from inside, and then take them over and retain their memories. So he knows who they are and he can play those roles, but he can only play one person at a time. So when he, he eats that person, he's got to be that person for a while. And so 
there's literally a, a monster called a skin stealer. And that came directly from the skinwalker stuff. Now the skinwalker stuff was a little different. It was actually more ghost-like and more, you know, mystical where this is much more invasive. And, you know, I saw it as sort of like my version of Chupacabra meets skinwalker. And I smashed them together and created a skin stealer. So it's, it's a pretty cool way. And, and for me, that's a, you know, sort of an homage, a tip of my cap to, you know, a lot of these ancient cultures that had really cool myths that not a lot of people write about. So for me to be able to take them as inspiration and put them into my novels in my own sort of way and twist them into the realm of Warminster, I think it gives them life beyond where they are. Beautiful. All right. So your book sometimes seems to deal with some complex moral and ethical dilemmas. Can you share some of the insights into maybe the philosophical themes that you explore as well in the series? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I mentioned the word trope before. And what I mean for those who may not know what that means, and in author speak is when you're writing a novel or a set of novels, oftentimes you want to write something that people have seen before they're kind of familiar with because you know it's popular and they like that kind of stuff. So sometimes romance or, or you know, the hero's journey, as I mentioned earlier, are, are tropes. And some of those themes are also played out. And, and I use themes that I think everybody can identify with. So I mentioned before this forbidden love. Everybody knows what forbidden love or unrequited love is as part of that. They've either experienced them themselves or they've been around someone when that's happened to them. You know, dad doesn't want you dating their daughter. Everybody's been there right? That kind of stuff. Or, you know, I'm of a certain class and you're not, and we can't associate with one another. Everybody's been there at one time too, or it's hard to do. And you're breaking those moral and social barriers as part of that. So, you know, you know, I think the struggle that I've offered is really threefold. The first is forbidden love at the heart of Adeline and Ritter's struggle together. Can these two divergent people come together where you've got this princess meeting this pauper knight and what makes it worse is Ritter's also a trollborn, and trollborn is my version of a of a muggle. You know, it's is a it's a person of of mixed birth. So you've got he's human in one aspect, but he's only half human. His father's human. His mother was a raven elf. These you know dark elves that uh, that uh, live you know in the forest, and and neither society accepts them. So they're they're called trollborn, and and so these folks that have are of a mixed race are kind of looked down upon. It's not meant as a slight, but when someone calls you a trollborn, it means you're not of of pure blood. And so you've got this lowly knight who's noble in every way, who this princess is falling in love with, but she's forbidden to love him because he's trollborn. And I think that's a you know a common theme that we can all identify with, you know, mm-hmm. in, in our lives too. You know, secondly, you know, struggle, you know, everybody has, you know, whether it's a health issue or financial issues, I think people understand and so there's this theme that of vengeance where, you know, you don't know the, 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 the origin story behind Great Taurus the Mad, but how did he get there? He wasn't born evil. Something happened to him. And why is he? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you get this, you, you, this, this want to find out more about how he ended in the lowly state that he's in, you know, and it's part of that struggle. It's the choices he's made. And can he seek redemption in the same, I'll go back to Darth Vader. I mean, you know, Darth Vader had a chance at redemption and he took it. Does Great Taurus take that same chance or, or take that same option if and when it's presented to him in the uh, in the novels? And if he does, it's one answer. If he doesn't, it's an, it's another, you know, and those kind of things. So I, you know, I think redemption, forbidden love, and then this concept of, you know, 
races coming together and living with one another and the acceptance of that, I think, is is being able to tell a story, you know, that is fantastical in its nature, but really gets to the heart of our society today. Awesome. All right. So, so a couple more questions here. So, building a fan base for your series, right? How did you engage with the readers and the wider fantasy community? You know, we were talking about cons, you know, a little bit before. So, talk about that a bit. Yeah, so I I am shameless, right? I will go to a <laughs> I library. Yeah. I will go to a bookstore. I do podcasts. I do radio and TV interviews. I go to co- conventions all the time. So like some of the larger conventions I go to, like Comic-Con or GalaxyCon, they'll have 60,000 people. Some of the bigger Comic-Cons have a quarter of a million people, you mm-hmm. know, at it. It's literally that it's that impactful, you know, and those are the biggest, but I just went to a a library about an hour drive from me. Uh, here in Pittsburgh this past Sunday, 18 people there, right? And I was there signing books, selling books, telling my story, answering questions and things like that. And that's how I think you engage, coupled with a very targeted social media engagement. And I think that social media is important for two reasons. One is it's free. And every author, whether you are published by the biggest brand in the business, or if you're an independent author, it's important to take advantage of that because it's a way to touch people and you don't have to spend money for it. It's really, truly earned media. The second thing is, is global. You know, I get people requesting and buying books that want me to send them signed copies from all over the world, all over the world. I've sent mm-hmm. them to Serbia. I've sent them to Australia. I've sent them to wow. Thailand. I've sent them to India. You name it, it. I've gotten requests from people. And it's because of my use of social media that allows me to reach the people that I wouldn't be able to reach if they didn't know where Pittsburgh was on a map. Yeah, see, smart man, folks. Well, I tell you, I, I love when I see, you know, people complain about the sources. No, don't complain about the sources. How you're gaming it? You gotta game it. Don't let it game you. Come on now, come on now. All right. So, you know, I want to show off the website real quick for people that may that are interested in getting this book. Wait, right? the website? Right? They could pick up the copies here or what? Yeah, they can buy the copies there. My books are available pretty ubiquitously. You can buy them. On my website, you can go to my publisher, which is dragonmoonpress.com. You can buy them on Barnes & Noble, Apple Books. You can go to Amazon, wherever you find a book, you can get it. It's also available through eBooks. It's also available through audio. So if you're, you'd rather listen to a book than read it, I know a lot of people, that's a real popular way that people are doing it these days. You can go and download it on Audible, you know, Apple, iTunes, but, you, you name right? it, it's there. But but you're listening to the book. You're not reading the book, right? The language yeah. needs to change there. Because I had a friend of mine say, oh, I read this book. I said, really? When did you find the time to read that? Oh, when I was driving, I just was, you know, I I, I got the audible. I said, you were reading shit, but you were listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth is, though, you get the right voice actor like I do. Victor Bavine is well known within the fantasy adventure and sci-fi community. Yeah. And people will download his stuff just for his voice. And he's a good storyteller. He brings passion to it. He feels good. Even when he's doing, you know, female voices and stuff like that, he's, you know, who he is when he's in character and you got to have the right voiceover actor for it. And and Victor's my guy. The funniest one I was, was the Watchmen or when when it was the guy doing the female voices, you know, the the, the cartoon. uh, And when they were doing the female, I know guy, damn, but you could have done better. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god sonic wasn't the lady from exorcist all right so um right so lastly what type of advice you could give to some aspiring authors particularly those that are looking to delve into the world of epic 
fantasy writing like you're doing? I mean, you know, because you're a game of real. I mean, are you a dungeon master or do you just play? Uh, I'm a DM. I've been a DM. Hey, I'm a storyteller, man. Of course I'm a dungeon master. Uh, you know yeah. what? Just for that, he probably murdered me within the first five minutes of any game. <laughs> no, man. No, no, no. Everybody gets an equal chance. Right. You know, but yeah, I, I think the advice I would give is really threefold. I mean, the first is write every day. And what I mean by that, it doesn't have to be a, a paragraph. It doesn't have to be a, any set number of chapters. Even if you're just outlining something, it keeps you in the flow of the story. It keeps your imagination growing. It does everything that you want it to do. And, and that's important. So you get into the habit of that. I, I want you to be at a point where if you're not writing, and I'm not saying vacations and holidays, everybody takes off, but there's, you know, there's gotta be a point where you're at least doing something. And it's almost like when you miss the gym, right? you like, you don't go to the gym. You kind of feel fat that day. You feel lazy. That's what I want you to feel like when you don't write. Secondly, iron sharpens iron, right? So don't be afraid for constructive criticism. There are people out there that are just jerks, right? Don't listen to the jerks. But also don't listen to your mom, you know, because my, my, oh, that's the best thing you've ever written. Of course it is. You're my mother, right? That doesn't count. Find people that read your stuff. Those beta readers that are out there that read almost exclusively within your genre, whether it's fantasy like me or sci-fi or dystopian or horror or wherever you are, romance, find them because they know what they're expecting and they know what's current, you know, and that's important. But then let them be constructively critical because there's going to be things in your drafts that just don't work. You might forget something because you're too close to it. Or, and I'm not talking about copy line editing where you're going in there and editing grammar. Forget that. That's that's the easier part. I'm talking about holes in plots, yeah. you know, or the uh, character arc. Then they just don't get why this character is uh, you know, in there. And you might have to cut them out, you know. And I think that's that's number two. And number three, I mentioned a little earlier, use the resources that are available to you. Whether you're an independent author or a published author, you know, things like getting in front of your readership will increase your sales, will increase your followers, will increase your to-be-read list, it's going to increase your email list. All those things are important for the next sale, the next sale, and the next sale. And you do that, it's a contact sport, it's like any other sale. You know, you do that on social media, you do that by going to events, you do that by coming on shows like this and pitching your wares and hoping people are like, hey, you know what, that's pretty cool and I'm going to go and download those, or I'm going to go buy those, or I'm going to order those for Christmas for my kids. You know, that kind of stuff, that's what you're looking for. And and so those are the three pieces of advice I'd leave for anybody that's looking to do this. And absolutely, with three pieces of advice, there you go, folks. Three wonderful books you could purchase right now. And by the time Christmas comes, there will, in fact, be a fourth one. So that'll be stocking stuffers galore for the family to read. You have a big family, so you can share the books. Heck you know, yeah. I mean, you know, make it a family event, discuss it, be constructive about this awesome series. I can't wait for the graphic novel now. I mean, can you tell us? Don't anything? wait much longer. It'll be out at late 2024, my friend. It's coming. So it's going to be self-published, or you're going through a publisher or Kickstarter? I'm going through Glasshouse in Florida. They're doing the, the, nice. the illustration on it, and it'll go through a traditional publishing house, which I'm negotiating with now. But I already have some of the, you know, the, the slides and some of the frames that they're, they're doing, that they're using to storyboard it, and I'm being part of the storyboarding process, which is, just super cool. Just super cool. I'm so excited for you, JV. Excellent. Thank you, sir. I love it. Folks, as I've been showing you right below is the website. You can buy these awesome books, but not just there. You go to Amazon, everywhere. I mean, books everywhere, everywhere. Make it happen. JVHilliard.com. He also lists events where he'll be showing up. I mean, what's the next one you're going to be at? Any more for this year? 
Yeah, I'm going to GalaxyCon in Columbus the first weekend of December. There should be about forty or 50,000 people there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you can find me at the pop-up bookshop. I'll also be giving a couple of uh, uh, offering remarks there at a couple of classes. So if you want to learn how to write or you want to learn how to, you know, to, to write sci-fi fantasy in particular, I'm teaching a few of those classes. So I'll look to, to meet everybody there and come out and see me. Or you, know, you can email me at joe at jvhillier.com. I'm pretty easy to find. Love it, fuck. You, you heard it here. Make sure you show the man some love. Epic fantasy right up your alley. Thank you. Again, the website, one more time, is also below. So click away, show the love, and buy. It's a pay week. Don't be lying to me, all right? So go ahead and, you know, just buy the first book. And once you do that, you're going to get hooked like a fish. You're going to need everything else, all right? And then you're going to get the T-shirts, the graphic novels. You're going to be auditioning for the film. I know that. <laughs> gonna just happen right bro <laughs> i hope us fingers crossed for that one manifest baby let's manifest make it magic baby thank you jv for your time thank you everybody for tuning in you know and learning about the book again you know show some love for for independent creators like this you know doing some amazing work you know to keep us entertaining put a smile on our faces all right so with that i saw that person i mean nice Thank you for listening to the Conversators Podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCrusaders.com. And also, make sure to download the Conversators app on the Google Play Store today.